Want to cause a heated discussion among landlords? Just say the word Section 8 and watch the fireworks fly. Today, I'll tell you what Section 8 is and how it works and why there's not a single answer to, is it a good idea? I'm Brian Ellis. This is episode number 219. You're listening to Self-Directed Investor Radio, America's only podcast exclusively for affluent, self-directed investors, where each day of the week you receive innovative investment strategy and deadly accurate market analysis that's untainted by Wall Street and unblemished by government propaganda, all in seven minutes or less. Coming to you now from iTunes, Stitcher, and SDIRadio.com, here's your host, Brian Ellis. Hello, SDI Nation. Welcome to the podcast of record for savvy, self-directed investors like you, where each day you learn more about how to find, understand, and profit from exceptional investment opportunities. I'll share some great stuff with you today, and it's all available at SDIRadio.com slash 219. So, Section 8. There aren't many topics that will cause the passions of rental property owners to flare more than this one, and I mean in both directions, and that's with good reason. Let's take a look at it right now and see why. Section 8 is technically the, the old name for a program that's now called the Housing Choice Voucher Program. The roots of the program go back to the U.S. Housing Act of 1937 that provided funding to create public housing units for the poor. That program morphed a little bit in, in 61 when the Section 23 Leased Housing Program was born, which provided funds to local governments who directly leased properties from private landlords, and then they essentially sublet those properties to low-income tenants. Then in 1974, Section 8 was born. Section 8 is different from the previous solutions because the landlord-tenant relationship is directly between a private landlord and a low-income tenant. The government isn't in the middle, technically. The lease agreement is amended such that the tenant's rent is paid in part or full by the local government, but the relationship is between the low-income tenant and the landlord. So if you read between the lines, what all this means for Section 8 is that it's a way for folks who really can't afford it on their own to have a house. Sounds risky, right? Well, I was always taught if you're given something for free, you probably won't appreciate it. And frankly, I still think that's true. But there's some nuance to that, and it's nuance that can be profitably applied in some cases. Now, many people confuse Section 8 with government housing projects, and it's easy to understand why. Basically, it's the same government program paying for housing in both cases, but housing projects are really different, even though many of them are, like I said, funded under the same program. The reason they're called housing projects is because the particular program that funds them is called the Project-Based Section 8 Rental Assistance Program. The big difference is this. The way that housing projects work is that government will basically lease some or, very frequently, all of a multi-unit building, usually big ones, from a property owner. The government is then responsible for everything, for maintaining the property and for placing tenants into uh, that property, tenants that they choose. The owner of the property is paid a flat fee from the government every month, and the owner basically steps away from the property until the project-based Section 8 contract expires many years later. Now, an accurate, though extreme, example of project-based Section 8 housing is the famed housing project Cabrini Green in Chicago that was home to over 15,000 low-income tenants at its peak. In that case, the predictable thing happened. Lots and lots and lots of crime. Cabrini Green became the poster child of the dangers and challenges associated with public housing projects, and that group of properties has been featured, very negatively I might add, in elements of pop culture ranging from comic books to games to TV to even horror movies like The Candyman. Bottom line, public housing projects have a pretty bad reputation, and to be clear, 
That is not what I'm referring to in this discussion of the Section 8 voucher program. What I'm telling you about here is a lot different. In fact, uh, you know, here's how it works from top to bottom. Let's look at it like that. First, the U.S. federal government provides funds to local government departments that are designated as public housing agencies, or PHAs for short. Then the local PHA creates specific qualification requirements for inclusion into the program. Some of those requirements are that income of the tenant must not exceed certain thresholds, and many PHAs take the additional step of doing interviews and background checks and criminal history checks. PHAs also take care to determine the specific composition of a tenant's family, since family size affects how large of a voucher the tenant qualifies for. Then, low-income people apply for the program with the PHA, and they are granted or not granted a voucher for a particular amount of payment each month. The Section 8 tenant is then free to take that voucher to any landlord he or she chooses, and the landlord is free to screen that tenant's background in any lawful manner. Don't get me started on that. And either accept or reject the tenant as the landlord sees fit. If the landlord agrees to accept the tenant's Section 8 voucher, then the landlord and the tenant will sign, sign a lease between them, and an addendum is attached which stipulates that a particular amount of money will be paid to the landlord on behalf of the tenant directly by the PHA. The landlord's property is then subject to inspection by the PHA before the tenant takes occupancy and then at least yearly thereafter. Now the next part is where it gets cool. The local PHA directly pays the established amount of rent for the tenant to you, the landlord, every month. Now if your rent amount is more than they pay, then the tenants are required to pay the difference. But you get paid directly from the government. So bottom line, there's really no such thing as a Section 8 house, but there are Section 8 tenants. It's not like with public housing projects. If you see a public housing project, and uh, it, it, it doesn't even need to be as severe or extreme as Cabrini Green, you probably have a pretty good idea that you're looking at a public housing project, even if nobody's told you that's what it is. That's not really so with houses in the Section 8 program. They're just houses like any other house on the block. But in the case of that house, the landlord has chosen to take some or all of their rent from a third party, namely the PHA, rather than directly from the tenant. That's the big difference. So here's the big question. Is it a good idea to use a Section 8 program? That's the really important thing, and unfortunately there's not enough time to answer that question today because the answer, it really is rather nuanced. But here's my tease for tomorrow. Sometimes it's an extraordinary opportunity. Sometimes you need to run the other way as quickly as possible. And in tomorrow's episode, I'll tell you how to make that decision in a careful, rational way. So my friends, be sure to join me tomorrow right here on the Self-Directed Investor Radio Show for that information. And hey, did you hear yesterday's show about Birmingham, Alabama? The market that I think might be the single best market for cash flow deals in the entire country? Hey, be sure to check that out because Birmingham is an example of where the Section 8 program can be a huge benefit because it works there. The link for that episode is on today's show notes page at sdiradio.com slash 219. And hey, if you're looking for cash flow investment opportunities, I suggest you join me for a very special webinar training I'm offering this week about that very topic called Why Birmingham, Alabama is the Best Turnkey Rental Property Market in America for 2016. There's no cost for that training, and the link for that webinar is on today's show notes page as well at sdiradio.com slash 219. And one more thing before we go, be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes or to our channel on YouTube. Either way, it's 100% free, and that's the only way you're sure to get it. My friends, invest wisely today and live well forever. Thank you for listening to Self-Directed Investor Radio with Brian Ellis. 
Don't miss a single episode. Be sure to subscribe to Self-Directed Investor Radio right now on iTunes, on Stitcher, and at sdiradio.com. Your feedback is always welcomed via email at feedback at sdiradio.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as legal or professional advice for your situation. Content is the property of the Self-Directed Investor Society. 